Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the World of Ink Network. Founded in 2011 by Virginia Grenier and Marsha Cook, their vision was to start a radio show that helped writers reach their dreams. The World of Ink has a wonderful group of hosts who are dedicated to delivering shows to entertain and inspire listeners. The World of Ink Network shares resources that introduce tips, products, and services to help strengthen, support, and challenge those who love writing and the written word. Their hope is to bring not only authors, illustrators, and publishers together, but screenwriters, directors, and producers. New to the network will be a variety of special shows, bringing not only entertaining shows, but informative discussions on timely subjects. To learn more about us, go to www.worldofinknetwork.com or visit us on our Facebook and Twitter pages. Thank you for your support and enjoy the show. Well, thank you, and welcome, everyone. My name is Elizabeth Black, and I'd like to thank you for listening today. This is my show, Into the Abyss with Elizabeth Black. In addition to creating podcasts, I also write dark dark and uh, erotic fiction, thrillers, fantasy, horror, romance, and erotica. And my latest erotic romance is No Restraint, which is available at Amazon. You'll also find my novelette, Roughing It, at Amazon. That book is a cross between The X-Files, The Andromeda Strain, and Outbreak. All good fun. Anyway, my guest today is writer Josh Mallerman, author of Bird Box. Josh is a man of many talents, writing as well as music. So first, thanks for being on my show, Josh. Oh, my gosh, thank you. I'm still pleasantly surprised whenever someone asks to do an interview. It's like, yeah, let's talk about books, let's talk about music. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, I, like I, we were talking earlier how I met you at the Stanley Hotel Writers Retreat last year, and I wanted to have you on. I mean, I didn't have the show at the time. This is my first episode of Into the Abyss. I was on um, the women's show back then, and I wanted to have you on, and I have you on now on my own show. So this is, this is really pretty cool. So thanks for being here. Yeah. That- and uh, first, um, how, you know, how about um, you tell a little bit about yourself, just general stuff. Well, um, I live in the Detroit area. I live in an area called Ferndale um, with my girl, Allison. We've got a couple cats and a puppy, a Weimariner, who is, is as hyper as advertised. And, but the one time that she seems to be relaxed is when I'm, when I'm writing, when I'm working on a story, which is kind of mm-hmm. awesome. So suddenly, as of the last four months, I suddenly have like a companion in the office who just kind of curls up next to me on the ground while I'm working. It's really I'll sometimes look down and, and tell her, like, ooh, that, that was a good line. Or, ooh, ooh that was a scary scene. <laughs> and she yeah. seems to agree. Well, yeah, hard to tell. Uh-huh. yeah I, I do that with my cats, too. They even help me write. They crawl across my keyboard and you know, change my settings and do all those kind of fun things. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, anyway, um, what I'd like to start with is uh, not only are you an award-winning writer, you sing in a rock band. So uh, when did you start the high strung? And I take it that, obviously, it's rock music. So when did you start the high strung? Well, you know, it's kind of a fun story. Uh, the bandmates and I, we've all been like great friends since like middle school. Um, and the drummer and bass player, Derek Burke plays drums, Chad Stocker plays bass. The two of them were already playing when we were, you know, like 10 years old. Um, and they were already, you know, in talent shows, in bands, in high school band, like all that kind of thing. And while we're growing up, they're playing music, and I was writing, uh, you know, what started as, like, a weird little comic book. Then I was trying to write some, like, short stories that were, you know, for a long time I was sort of embarrassed of that period, this period of writing, you know, very young, scary short stories, right? But then I I look at them now, and I actually kind of like them again. But then that became, like, poems and some of those, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say I was ever a goth kid but some of the poetry reads like I was and mm-hmm. and you know the boys are playing music I'm writing all the time and eventually it kind of it's one of those things where great friends seem to end up like you, you know you end up doing the same things together and even to this extreme where 
you know, one of the fellows they were playing with, another great friend of ours named John Gornbein, who was just kind of like, hey, why don't you join up with us? You write, you know, um, you're artistic-minded. Why don't you join up with us? And he bought me uh, an organ, like a Farfisa organ. kind of sounds like the Doors organ. And I didn't know how to play oh, organ. Okay. I didn't know how to play anything. And, it, like, I wasn't musically inclined whatsoever. And the bass player, Chad, taught me a C chord on the organ. This is all when I'm, like, 18, 19, something like that. Chad teaches me a C chord on the organ, and I'm like, oh, okay. And that leads to, you know, while the band's playing, me in the background just ding, 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 you know. And it was the greatest time of my life. I absolutely loved it. And then there was a yeah. day that really sort of changed everything for me when another friend named Mark Owen came into the scene, and he started singing his own poetry, his own words, and mine. And that was, the, that was the moment where I realized, oh, wait a minute, all these, like, poems and all these ideas, these could be songs. And, that, and that's, that's when things got really serious for me. Well, exciting for mm-hmm. me was when Mark showed yeah. up and started, so, like, making songs uh, out of these existing words. How did, uh, where did the name The High Strong come from? Man, it took us forever to, to come up with a name. We, we were living in New York at the time. Um, the drummer Derek had moved there and then Mark and I followed him out there and then Chad, the bass player, followed all of us out there and so we had a band in New York City again, I think we were like 23 at the time, 24 um, we didn't have a name for ourselves and, and we went, you know it's, it's, it's a really, it's harder than titling a book it, because you wanted to like represent you and all this stuff you know, it, then the high songs seemed to work because at the time, and you heard some of our songs, we there are a lot of like high harmonies and we sing higher and, mm-hmm. and then like we also yeah. wore our guitars real high and we're also like kind of like nervous wrecks of guys where we used to be <laughs> more anxious than we are now. And so it seemed real fitting and kind of funny at the time, but now that name seems strange to me because I'm like, but I'm, I'm not like mm-hmm. that necessarily high strung anymore. But obviously it also, I have an affinity uh-huh. for the name because my best friends and yeah. me used it for years. But the, the name just came from like one of those sessions that you can imagine where four guys are in a basement just, like, trying to come up with just anything to call themselves. <laughs> it was like yeah. an identity crisis. Well, um, well, like I told you earlier, I, I listened to some of your music today, and your voice reminds me of, of Neil Young, you know, the, the, same, the same type of um, emoting and that sort of thing. Well, I mean, yeah, he's, he's, one, of, mm-hmm. he's one of all of our all-timers. Yeah, he's one of the greats. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, now that you say that, it makes me kind of want to try to sing a little more like him, actually. I mean, it makes me want to do something, like, smoother like him. You know, he, he, uh-huh. he's able to make, yeah. like, a very pretty, simple song. Very powerful, that guy. Holy cow. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, you could do that. Yeah, yeah go ahead and do it. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, how about you play the – do you play any – well, obviously, you mentioned the organ. and You play the guitar. Uh, do you play any other instruments? Well, I mean, I like to fancy myself a pretty good bass player. Um, uh, I'm I'm no good on the drums, but I can get us through, you know, I can get us through like a recording if I can do multiple takes, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. But yeah, no, really, it's just, it's really, to say I play the organ even even feels a little bit like a lie. Like, like I learned it oh, up to okay. a point, and then I switched over to the guitar and, and uh, you know, and, and played that for years, so... I mean, really, the guitar is, like, home for me for sure. But I, will, I would definitely add, you know, overdubs, organ, you know, and other stuff onto our albums, sure. Yeah, that's you know, quite, a lot, quite a lot of talent there. You know, you, you write as well as write music, and you, you play music and you sing, so that, that's pretty cool. And I um, uh, also read that you were slated to play at Gitmo. Did, did you actually play there? Where did that gig come from? Oh, yeah, we did. Um at that point in time, we were just a three-piece. It was Derek, Chad, and I, and we had done a tour of public libraries um, in, the, in the U.S. You know, like what, what it really amounted to was a librarian in Michigan had sort of a, a vision of like an all-ages, turning the library into like an all-ages venue. You have a rock band that plays at full volume, and, and I think he saw it as like one of many ways of making the library, you know, cooler to kids obviously you and i know that the library itself can't be cooler yeah. than what it already is but but like to a kid yeah. you know oh, there's a band playing here maybe the library is exciting so we we went on this like really long tour 
we played like, tons of libraries all over the state, or all, yeah, all over the state and all over the country. And then uh, that led to a, the, a librarian on Guant- at Guantanamo Bay hearing about us and asked if we would come play at the library there for like soldiers and their families. And you, oh, nice. you gotta, you can only imagine how like crazy that sounded to us. You know, we're just like three dudes driving around in a van, and all of a sudden, like what, what, you know? But we did it. We yeah. flew down, and the thing, the the really, the 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 crutch for that 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 whole story leans upon is that we had to spend a week there. We got to spend a week there because you fly in on a Sunday, and you're there is no flight out till next Saturday. So it didn't matter if we only had one or two shows. We were going to be there for a whole week. So we show up at, you know, holy cow, we spent the night before in like a at like a military base in, I think, Jacksonville. And then we flew from there to Guantanamo Bay. You know, it's like, I mean, try to imagine like the Marx Brothers go to war. You know, it was the three of us <laughs> and a bunch of like soldiers on an airplane. Uh-huh. And then we took, you land on one side of the bay and then you take a boat to the other side, um, which is where like the city is. And so right within, on the way from the airport, you know, in this boat at like 7 a.m. after flying down there, I mean, all this crazy stuff, right? And our bags were sniffed by, you know, German shepherds and, you know, obviously armed guards. It's, you know, Guantanamo Bay, right? And so, mm-hmm. and so on the boat, this fella asks me, like, hey, are you, are you guys big drinkers? And I was like, well, I mean, yeah, sometimes, why, you know? And he was like, oh, because your, your, your guide is a real big drinker. We're like, oh, okay. And then when we get to the other side, our guide's waiting for us. He's driving, like, a van, and, and he's got, you know, a mixed drink in his hand. And he's like, oh, thank God you guys are older. I'm so glad it's not a boy band. Let's go get some, something to drink. <laughs> that was moment one at Guantanamo Bay. This was, like, moment one out of a week, and it was just absolutely mm-hmm. thrilling. We ended up swimming with, like, the captain. We smoked cigars on the captain's deck. We went to, like, all the bars. We played the shows. We had our own little, like, kind of, like, apartment, you know, whatever, like, apartments or whatever yeah, well, for, that's, that's, for the week. That sounds like a, you know, that sounds like a really phenomenal gig. I mean, it, it sounds like it was you know, phenomenal. the gig of all You know, I wanted to one day write, write a book or a story. Um, uh-huh. That's, that's, that's a really hard one. I think we played, you know, some... We have played some 2,000 shows, I think, or something, something around there. Yeah. And, you know, favorite, I don't, you know, there's some, some cities were, like, were, like, so good to us, and, and some other nights were just randomly magic, you know, just like any art, right? And then, mm-hmm. so, but, I, yeah, I would say it'd be hard to top that experience. But there were yeah. other ones that were, were just as shimmering, well, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, well I, I used to work as a union stagehand, and I did a whole summer series of concerts. And I, I did mostly lighting. I did some sound, but just you know, being backstage and head, helping everybody set up. And it was, I mean, the atmosphere was frenetic. And it's just, I, I, I can imagine how much fun you had because I had a blast. And, and I, I was only local crew. And uh, so it, it, well, it just you know, that's like, kind of like a lot of fun. That's been sort of a lo- lo- lifelong fantasy of mine is to, to get – the behind the scenes of like, say like a theater, like that's something I'm very interested mm-hmm. in, in pulling off around here in Detroit is opening like a horror theater, not like, like think, I guess, Grand Guignol, like small, short horror oh, yeah, plays, yeah. I see what you know, mean. five, six uh-huh. nights, but you know, yeah, I'd love to write them, but other people can write them too. But the idea of being, as you say, the crew being behind the scenes with all that, like with all that energy and people are like all peaked to perform and, and here you are backstage with it all. That's, that's always been sort of like a romanticized like fantasy of mine. Well, if you ever get a chance to do it, definitely go for it because it's, there's nothing else in the world like it. I, I, that, was the, that was probably my favorite job of all the jobs that I ever had. So, um, uh, yeah, um, well, since we're talking about writing now, uh, what was, uh, what was, was your, did you start with music and then writing, or did you do writing and music at the same time? So, I mean, how, how did that work out? Well, like I was saying before, like I was already trying to write short stories and, and writing poems, whatever, when when the band, when the boys were like, hey, you should come play with us. So definitely started like mm-hmm. writing first, but didn't really know what I was writing. It was just, you know, I, I played in this basketball league when this travel team 
when I was younger in high school. And I and I when we returned home from this particularly exciting tournament, I sat down at the computer and like hammered out like a 50-page account, like a 50-page retelling of that tournament. And I think that, in hindsight, I think that would be the moment that says, ah, you you are a writer whether you called yourself one or not, whether you realized mm-hmm. you were one or not, because what kind of high schooler write, writes 50 pages out of nowhere, right? Yeah. You know, and at the time, you're just yeah, like, that, oh, this is so exciting. Point. Yeah. I mean, yeah, in high school, a two-and-a-half-page paper sounded like a lot. So, mm-hmm. so I think that that would be the moment. And that was, you know, that was before the band and whatever. But I, I also think that the band with Mark and I writing together, especially, then things became like, that's when I think Mark and I became artists in terms of actually having, you know, a, a I don't want to say a vision, but like you have an idea and you want to do it this way and this and that. And then, and then, the writing of stories and books, like Mark and I would talk about it endlessly, how we wanted to write books and write stories. And we even, one weekend we did this great thing where we got out of work together, went to our apartment, locked the door Friday night, and weren't allowed to leave Monday morning until we had like 100 pages written. I mean, it was just like a a write-in, a lockdown. And Uh this is all like during the band, you know, the band's early days. So I think that... You know, yeah, writing came first, but but the band is when things became became more artful, more mindful, more mm-hmm. more like colorful, and okay. then to, and then together the two like sort of like went. You know, it's been whatever a juggling act since then, I guess. Right. Well, now I'd like to talk about Bird Box because you know we're getting into writing now. Where did the idea for the book come from? Well, Bird Box is the. I don't know which book it is. I've, I've written um, a number of, you know, rough drafts and, and whatever. And, and I kind of, at least back then, especially had, had it in me that, you know, you finish one story, you just start the next one. You finish one, you start the next one, that kind of thing. And I'd written a number of novels, rough drafts by then already. And when I sat down to write Bird Box, it was just, at the time, it was just the next idea in line. And all I started with, um, I just had a, you know, a vision of a woman um, blindfolded and with two kids rowing down a, a, a river. And I, for some reason, the image itself was like striking enough to me. It was, it was, it was like freaky. I didn't know why or where they were going. And I just liked the idea of placing these three characters in this boat and like what's happening to them. So, you know, at that moment in time, when you start something like that, that could be a short story that could go absolutely nowhere, whatever. But I started writing it. And I realized very early on, like, ah, okay, the, these characters are, are fleeing something and they can't look at it and what can't they look at? And it all just sort of like came together about 10 pages deep. And I realized that, you know, they were fleeing a concept or something, something they couldn't fathom. And if they attempted to fathom it, it would drive them crazy because it's beyond their comprehension. And so that sounds very abstract. And as you know, from the book, it doesn't feel as abstract right. as that, but the, but the concept is sort of abstract. And then, so from there, once I realized what Mallory was doing, where, where, what she was fleeing, the, uh, honestly, God, the book felt like it wrote itself. It was every day mm-hmm. for about 26 days. The original draft was twice as long as the one that you read. Um, yeah. It was just, just like a manic frenetic experience. So, but you know, at the time, no, it, it just yeah. felt like the next story. And then the minute I finished Bird Box, I just started working on the next story. And mm-hmm. then years later, when I meet, you know, an agent and I get an agent and a lawyer, manager, and all this, and then we're we're talking about the the rough drafts I have and the stories I have, and I said, you know, I think I think Bird Box is a great debut because I don't know why I don't know why I thought it was a great debut. I guess sometimes I look at um, like all these books and like the career arc as sort of like like a like a, like a one season of the Twilight Zone, and I felt that Bird Box was like a great first episode, if that makes sense. And yeah, so that's what yeah, we did. We, I, I uh-huh. rewrote it, got it in shape, and then the agent chopped it. Yeah. Well, well, the thing that I liked, well, yeah, the thing that I liked about it was, you know, of course, the characters are blindfolded. So you have to use your other senses, not just sight. 
So, you know, relying on other senses throughout the book made it even more frightening for me because I didn't know what to expect. And, you know, it was, uh, you know, hearing things and feeling things and just a whole different way of looking, looking at the world. And uh, I I thought that it brought it out much, you know, much more as far as the fear goes, especially like several scenes that I'm thinking of right now, (laughs) one in particular, but I'm I'm not going to say which one because I want people to buy the book. But, um, yeah, yeah. No, I know what you mean. Um, it's, it's a fantastic book. You know, I, I, I thank you. Um, you know, it, it's I can imagine a hell of a uh, theater experience with that. You know, with long periods mm-hmm. of just blackness, especially with like sound systems the way they are nowadays with surround sound. You can have Mallory. Mallory's voice centered, boy on the right, girl on the left, water, you know, being panned right and left, you know, sounds up on, up on the banks, far to your right or left. I mean, in just complete darkness in a theater, how exciting mm-hmm. would that be? You're like 17 years old, you know, and you're like seeing this scary movie and, and half of it you don't even see. I love that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, in terms, of, in terms of writing it, yeah, it almost started to become like accidentally a um, – a meta story in that way because it's, you know, it's horror 101 to say, like, close your eyes. Or, like, you know, you're scared, so you close your eyes, right? That's sort of like mm-hmm. horror yeah. in a way. That's the first, like, reaction to something scary. So then for an entire novel to be, you know, to pivot on that, again, that, that wasn't, it wasn't like I had some, you know, some idea to do that. I, I just started writing about Mallory in a rowboat, and then, it, and then it sort of turned into that from there. Mm-hmm. Well, I understand also that you wrote about 15 to 17 novels, but you never published any of them. Um, why was that? And Well, I mean, you, you sort of talked about why Bird Box was your debut novel, but uh, what, what's the deal with the other novels, and are, are you going to publish any of them now? Yeah, the, that number is, is astronomical now. There's about 26 of them. And it's overwhelming, oh, wow. you know, to be in my in my office. And I, to me, they're all, you know, and and nobody else has really read any of them. I haven't shown or shot any of them. Um, to me, they're all again, they're all uh, just as good or as whatever as each other. There, there isn't one that necessarily stands out to me. Um, so sometimes I do. Yes, I want them all to come out for sure. It's you know, I thought that once Bird Box came out, I would just turn around and be like. Okay, now which one? Now, now, like an embarrassment of riches. Oh, I have so many. Which one are we going to pick? But it turned out to be a way more difficult decision to make than I had planned. It's like, wait, which one of these is the right follow-up to Burba? And then it started to feel like, oh, boy. So, so the reason why none of them were shot is the same reason Birdbox wasn't shot. I was, you know, playing in the band. We were touring almost all year. We were, we were gone seven, eight months of the year, something like that. I don't even remember exactly. But we were playing like 200-something shows a year. I'm writing books in the passenger seat while Derek, the drummer, is driving. Chad is in the back reading, you know. Um, And I just, you know, we were like having the time of our lives seeing the country, seeing the world in this band. And and it's not like we were making a ton of money, but we were getting by from city to city. And I think because of that, I just never saw the books as like – like like uh, I never looked at the stack of rough drafts with like desperation or with dollar signs in my eyes. I never said to myself, "Oh, I gotta get these, gotta get all these out because like because like you know we gotta like get money or something." But at the same time, I always just blindly delusionally imagined that they were going to it was going to lead to like a full arc career. And so when when the moment came where. I met the literary lawyer who essentially started all the dominoes on the business side of it. You know, he yeah. introduced me but to the a manager. Was, the book was they introduced auctioned, me to an agent. The book was auctioned, wasn't it? Yeah, the book was auctioned. Yeah, but that's, I believe. that's after, yeah. you know, long after I met uh, okay. after, like, the, the whole team or whatever. And so, you know, I, I think when, that, when, that, when those pieces started to fall into place, it wasn't like I was like, oh, I expected this. No, it wasn't like that. But it was also like... Mm-hmm. I did kind of expect it. I had been planning on it. I had been, and I felt prepared for it because I had all these books. I think that the noble explanation 
would be that I just wanted to get really good at writing before I before I started shopping things. Mm-hmm. And that maybe, but I, I think it was more like I, I was just, you know, like the singer-songwriter of a band writing books at a frenetic pace. And, you know, it, it just didn't, it wasn't a priority to, like, shop them until it became a priority. And then now it's, like, my entire, like, mm-hmm. career, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, well, I know that you've um, written short stories, too. Did they come out before or after Bird Box? I had not written a single short story when Bird Box came out. I had not written one in my right. entire life. And I think mm-hmm. this, is a, this is a great thing that you just brought up in terms of your other questions, because what was happening was any idea that was, like, small enough to be a short story ended up being a song on one of, like, our, our albums. Ah. Um, one album specifically, Get the Guest, seems very made up of short stories. And so anytime yeah, I was like, oh, you know, I, I, I've got a strange small idea about a, uh, about a grave digger. Okay. Well, then that becomes like a song. But if it was a novel idea, then I would write the novel. So when, on the day that Bird Box was published, I truly had not written a single short story except for the feeble attempts when I was much younger, you know, like in middle school mm-hmm. in high school. A little bit in college and a little bit. Like, that's about it. So now I think I have like 18 or 19 of them now or something, and I'm absolutely in love with that format. Um, I love, love the idea that you can, that you can sort of satisfy that, 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 um, that deep urge to get like an idea, see an idea all the way through, that you can do that, you know, in like mm-hmm. 12 pages rather than, you know, 1,200 or whatever. It's a great feeling. Um, and it's also fun to like, you know, exchange short stories with other writers because it's like small little freaky ideas and everything, you know. So my my take on that or my my approach to that has changed like dramatically. But you know, then I wonder too if the songs have suffered for that because I haven't written as many songs since I started writing so many short stories. Huh. Well, um, yeah. I mean, I've written short stories myself. Actually, as far as the the horror and dark fiction end go, I've written only short stories so far. I'm working on a horror novel, but um, yeah, it's it's interesting that your short stories end up becoming songs rather than you know, full blown short stories. It's it's just, it's just an entirely different format. So, do you have a preference over writing songs or writing novels, or are they just two completely different things for you? Well, I guess I. They're, they're definitely two different things, but, and sometimes that can be hard because, it, you know, you do sort of wear the writer's hat while you're writing and you, and you do sort of feel like the songwriter when you're like, when you're fronting a band. I mean, you know, you, it's, it's not that you're like two different people, but they're two very exciting things. And if you happen to do both of them, there is some adjustment period when you step from the sphere of one into the sphere of the other. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I definitely don't have a quote-unquote uh, preference. I don't, I don't necessarily think anything's ever going to beat, like, finishing the writing of a novel. It, it's just, I, I, like I said, I think I have about 26 of them now. There's no feeling, like, when, like when you finish yours, you are just, you're going to feel like a different human being. And it's mm-hmm. gorgeous. But you know what? Finishing an album feels similar to that, too. So I would equate more a novel with, like, yeah, like a full album, you know, that kind of thing. One that you really, really, right, you know, I see what you mean. it's not just like live or something. You really went for it, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I guess I don't have a preference, but I, I do, you know, it does seem like, like finishing novels is, is for me, in my experience, is sort of the apex of our artistic experience. Well, um, what do you, I know that, do you, I know you listen to music while you're writing. What kind of music do you listen to? For a long time, it was um, like cla- just like the classical station, and then I started to get oh, really okay. into you know horror movies. Uh, yeah, because like lyrics seemed like they would distract me a lot of the time. You know, you'd be like writing mm-hmm. and you're like yeah. listening to this guy singing about like high school or whatever. You know, and then you're like, oh, I don't know, this, this doesn't seem to fit or something. I, you know, I'm, I'm starting to change my mind on that now because I think that think that it could be good to have like I, I feel like I am looking for a different drummer to. Um, to the next book I write. And, and I do think there is like a drummer behind every book you write. There's a rhythm to it. And so for a long time, I've been listening to, um, yeah, horror movie soundtracks. Like I have a really fun collection of uh, horror movie, uh, vinyl, whatever I do. And I got a record player in my mm-hmm. office and I just 
flip them over, you know, back and forth, you know, pretty much the whole time I'm working. So, you know, that's I, the thing that I love about most horror movie soundtracks is that it's kind of like classical music with the lights turned down or, or maybe it's like a, uh, a mischievous kid, like composing classical mm-hmm. music. Maybe it's not quite as complex, you know, as what you'll hear on the classical station, but it, it still paints that sort of landscape mood for you, you know? Yeah. So, yeah well, I know, I mean, I know of a lot of people that, you know, well, I know of a lot of people that listen to music when they're writing and some have to have dead silence because even, even an instrumental can be distracting sometimes, but uh, I, I like dark ambient. I mean, sometimes I'll listen to Lost Mord and you talk about soundtracks and uh, I used to put the soundtrack to Suspiria on repeat because I, you know, I have uh, the Gothic oh, soundtrack yeah. and that, that's always fun to listen to. Yeah. And uh, and the Exorcist is always that's another good one that I could really yeah I could I, really get into it I couldn't couldn't write yeah couldn't write romances with that music on <laughs> but um, yeah well I had you know some other kinds yeah of music it, it, that I was listening but to also that. also some there are of course scenes moments beats in your horror novel that are not scary scenes I mean sometimes they're oh, just yeah, yeah. I don't know two characters talking so sometimes when you have like the soundtrack from Troll playing in the background and there's these like haunted sort of chants going on when your characters are just getting a coffee, you're kind of like, all right, I might be overdoing this right now. Maybe, maybe mm-hmm. the music. Yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> maybe the music. I, I, I could have anything on right now. <laughs> so I'm starting to wonder about that. I'm starting to wonder if I should be a little more specific. Like today, <laughs> you're writing that scene, get that album, rather than like, you know, Suspiria on repeat and then write the whole book to it, which is pretty much how I've done right. things until now. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know the feeling. That's how I've done it. Well, you mentioned earlier that you kind of would like the the backstage feel of of being at a concert. Um, have you, and, you know, or um, or being on the stage? Have Have you ever considered writing a play? Totally. Yep. I'm about a hundred pages deep into a uh, novel right now. That I, I I had about a page one hundred exactly. I was like, you know what? This would be a better play. And I talked to Allison, my girl, about mm-hmm. it. And and she sees that she can see that too, whatever. And I'm going to uh I think I may try my try my hand at doing it that way. Um but there's um you know, again to the Grand Guinal model, you know, the the they would have like it would be like short stories. You know, the first one would be like a mad scientist injects poison into like a cheating wife, you know. The second one would be like a werewolf on the loose, you know, that kind of thing. I think most yeah. Grand Guinal was actually not supernatural. I think most of it was like mad scientist serial killer kind over, of thing. But over anyway. the top kind of stuff, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and it would be like so fun to have like, can you imagine being in the front row of, you know, with, with a fake beheading on stage and like, it just, that just sounds awesome because I think a lot of the time when there's a quote-unquote like scary play or a Halloween play, a lot of them are like funny, like Evil Dead, the musical, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, that's fun. But man, to walk into a theater with the intention of actually getting like really scared, that sounds really exciting to me. And so, yeah, you know, that, that, that does sound and, exciting. Yeah. Well, like, like, you know, Sweeney, night, like, you know, like Sweeney Todd has a lot of dark humor in it. I mean, like Sweeney Todd has yeah. a lot of dark humor in it, but you know, when people yeah, are having totally. their, you know, their throat slid on the, on the barber's chair, then that, that's pretty intense. Yeah. So they, they mix it all yeah, together. Yeah, definitely. Uh-huh. And like imagine, and even oh, imagine more like more lo-fi than that. Like no, you know, it's not a musical. It's not funny. It's just like dark in the theater. There's like fog or whatever. Yeah, they, we can have music playing for sure, but it's just like a very small. It's almost like watching a live rendition of the Twilight Zone. And if you think about it, a lot of Twilight Zone yeah. could have been staged as plays anyway. Um, yeah, they could have. You know, a lot of them are small settings, a, a house, a robot in the house, whatever it is, right? So, um, I, yeah, it's, it's something, look, this conversation is making me really want to do that. <laughs> that's, that's all I want to do now is go find this space. And then I was also thinking it'd be cool to have um, in that theater, at the front of that theater, like a horror, sci-fi, fantasy sort of bookstore. You know, even if it's only like four oh, shelves definitely. of stuff. just... Yeah. yeah, you know, so up front you got like, hey man, check out these books, and then in the back it's like, come on, let's go, let's go get scared. Yeah, that that sounds like a great idea. Yeah, well, I'm, you know, yeah, you were like, wouldn't you come? Yeah, that'd be really good. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. This conversation is the okay. steal, man. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, what is it about <laughs> about horror that appeals to you? Well, you, uh, oh, you okay. know, I, I wonder often, I'm sure all of us ask ourselves this on some level. I, I, part of me wonders if it is some sort of arrested development in terms of, like, I fell in love with this at age, like, 12, 13, 14. It was so, just the ultimate thrill to to read a scary short story or to to sneak downstairs and watch. There was, like, the, I can't remember what they were called, like, the, Friday night scary movies that were that were played you know, oh, back yeah. like before cable. Yeah, we, we um, had, and then we like had Saturday Shocker feature feature. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. And like I would like my mom would be, you know, would be like, "Oh, you shouldn't watch that stuff." And but I would sneak down and watch Firestarter or Blackula, like Blackula was on TV, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And in those moments really felt like I was like truly witnessing something that I wasn't supposed to be or but in and then meanwhile though Nobody got hurt. Like, I, you know, I watched this thing. It was scary. I got totally freaked out. And then I, like, scampered up to my bed, freaked out in bed for, like, an hour, and fell asleep and woke up absolutely thrilled. So I wonder sometimes, like, yeah, that, yeah. is it... Oh, go ahead. Is it, like, not arrested development, but is it, like, sort of, like, am I... Did I just fall in love with it at that age and I'm still, like, still at that point, like, as if, like, I haven't aged at all. I, it's all been one glorious like like affair since then. Yeah, maybe. But I also think that another side of it is that I love. To me, like horror, admits that it's fiction. It it, it, it it's sort of like the imagination unbound. And in today's uh, world, you know, TV and whatever, it feels like a lot of like the documentary is is in a golden period, and a lot of shows, even scary movies try to be like as real as possible but I'm not looking for reality and horror I'm looking for the imagination I'm looking for like the idea for the mood for the colorful like mind at play versus yeah. like this is well he would never do something like that well, of course he would never do something that, like that there would probably also never be a werewolf that broke through the living room window but like here he is you know so get over it you know and I think that that's mm-hmm. I think that's what I love about it yeah, well, what I what I liked about it was, I mean, you know, going back to how you, you know, you realized that nothing was going to get you, and you're in bed, and then the next morning you wake up and you're fine. For me, it always was like a roller coaster. It's scary as hell while you're up there, but you know you're safe. You know, nothing bad is going to happen to you. With and, and it like it gives you permission to feel some darker emotions. And uh, I mean, that, that's what it, it was cathartic for me because you know, if I was worried or upset about something, then um, you know, I would watch a horror movie and it would actually calm me down. And I've talked to other people that had that same kind of reaction to watching scary movies is that it actually it actually helped center them. So you know, when when you're talking about uh, you know what you know what horror means to you, that you know, it's I've heard that from from quite a few people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would make sense too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you go to, like, a horror convention or, like, the Stanley Hotel um, convention that we went to, we met at last year. Yeah. Um, yeah. When you start talking to other people that feel that way, that also fell in love with the scare and the genre or whatever, it's like, man, it's like, you, it's like you're like a brother or sister. You, like, immediately connect on that front. And, and I'm not saying, yeah. you know, oh, horror binds us all. Well, I guess it kind of does. But it, it's just more like it really is such an exciting thing that it would be like if you were the kind of person that jumped out of an airplane and then you met another person that did that, you, you would both be like, oh, yeah, you, you know about yeah. it, I know about it. That's how we kind of are with these books and movies and plays and radio shows and things that we've all experienced. And you know what? Mm-hmm. There are some, and you know this, of course, there are some that even when it was over, you did not feel safe afterwards. There are, there are movies oh, yeah. where, you know, the movie, the book's over, and, I mean, it took... Man, I saw a paranormal activity in the theater with my friends, and they, <laughs> uh-huh. when we walked out, they were like, they were like, that movie was cheesy, that movie sucked, and I was like, what? What? I was so scared. I, I honestly got, I was like, however old, 34 or whatever, I slept with the lights on in my room for like two weeks after I saw that movie. So, so sometimes it just yeah, does know, not leave mm-hmm. you alone. <laughs> well, I know that feeling. Yeah. When, I, and, when I was in college, I saw I saw Alien at the movie theater. I had never seen anything like that before in my entire life. And <laughs> I, I couldn't watch a horror movie for eight years. I mean, I, I couldn't even eat salad because that's what Kane was eating when the thing burst out of his chest. 
And it, it, it took me eight years to finally see something uh, to watch a horror movie. And it ended up being Friday the 13th. And then, I, you know, the one that I heard about that is really, really, really scary. And I watched it and I'm like, this is funny. <laughs> There's nothing scary here. What yeah. was I so afraid of for the last eight years? And then I got hooked on everything. And then my next one was Evil Dead, and the, the guy that told me about that one said, if I, can, if I can sit through that, I can sit through anything. Then he was right, and I've seen just about every horror movie that's ever been invented. And, uh, and now I love yeah, that. You know, Whereas you know, when I saw Alien, I was sick for three days. <laughs> <laughs> Evil Dead is a great, great um, example of, like, that one, yes, it's scary, and if you're not, you know, maybe a huge horror fan, maybe it's even scarier because you're just not used to certain images but that movie is like it's it's more to me of like a dark painting than it is even a movie mm-hmm. it's just like it is one of the most artistically artful you know movies i have ever any of us have ever experienced so that one is a great i don't want to say gateway but if you have a friend who's like oh i don't like scary, hello all right well once hello josh you there hello yeah i'm here Hello, Josh. I'm here. Yes, I'm here. No, huh? Hello, is anybody there? Oh, I'm here. Uh-oh. Am I muted? Hello. Hmm. Hello. Hello. Anybody there? Elizabeth, yeah, are you me? on? Oh, hi, it's Marsha. <laughs> I think uh, I'm from the world of ink. I think and Elizabeth, I don't know what happened. I'm looking at it, and I don't see her Her phone is still on. So maybe she'll just call back. Elizabeth, do you hear? Hello? I wonder if we're muted or something. No, you're not, because I'm looking right at the screen. Hi. <laughs> not. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can, can hear you. Can you hear yeah. me? Okay, I'm Marsha. Yep. <laughs> She'll probably come back. Hi, Marcia. I don't know what happened. Hi, how are you? I've been no, listening like to your interview. I know. No, you know, uh, she'll probably come right back on. What? Just continue on, because uh, I'll, I'll, I'm listening to what you're saying. About. Uh, go ahead. <laughs> well, you know what? This is, this is sort of apropos, because we're Hello. talking about all these, like, horror stories and all these. Oh, go, go ahead. I know, sure. I, I know. I don't know if she's there, but I actually, okay. I, I, I'm I, actually, I'm an, I'm an author too. Are you back, Elizabeth? Okay, because I'm, I was just going to yes, yes, talk because I'm listening to. I'm listening. Uh-huh. <laughs> awesome. Uh, and it was great. Uh, go, go ahead, Jess. Uh, you know, because I'm listening too. It's a very, it's, you're very interesting to listen to. You know, you've got a lot of pep too, which is good after all. Of, you know, because a lot, a lot of writers don't. You know, a lot of writers. That's one of the things that happen. They don't have a lot of pep after you know because they're just so busy whining. But you're having such a good time when you write. I'm listening. <laughs> This is true. <laughs> All right, I know. All right, I'm listening. Elizabeth, go ahead. I just want because I could see that okay. when it okay. went off. Yeah, thank okay. You for I'm, I'm, in for that's me. okay. I'm here. I'm here. Okay. Bye 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 bye. Bye Josh. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye. Okay. Yeah, that was really weird. All of a sudden, you were you were gone, and I'm like, what happened? I've never I've never had a yeah. talk go on me like that before. That was weird. Oh, well, anyway. Um. Yeah. Uh, okay. What what's what scares you? If anything, like, what's your greatest fear? You know, I have a, I have a number of them. One of them is like, you know, you're, you're driving on a mountain road, you know, just you driving on a mountain road and then like both your headlights die at once. Right. <laughs> oh, and you're going like 50, oh, yeah. 50 miles an hour in the mountains and all of a sudden it's just pitch black. Um, I get, I get sort of, I get sort of freaked out by, by, um, you know, God, it sounds so silly to say all this kind of stuff, but I find myself getting extra scared by, like, possession stories, demon stories, blah, 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 those kind of things. I'm dating, mm-hmm. I'm engaged to a daughter of a pastor, and, and she, we watch those movies, and she's like, this, this just doesn't scare me. The Exorcist, um, any of those kind of movies just do not scare Allison, and those ones really mess me up. Like, those are the kind that I'll be walking, you know, walking through the house after, and I'm like, oh, God, you know where the mm-hmm. entity is, like, 
so interested in you specifically, like like paranormal activity, like like The Exorcist. Like, see, that's mm-hmm. the thing about like those sort of possession stories that really chill me is that it's the interest of that the demon takes in you. You know that it, that it is yes. so interested in you specifically, and that's what what always freaks me out because I'm like, am I? You know, I, I I'm probably like a you know afraid enough. To, I, I would make a perfect target. It feels like <laughs> I'm like my well, God. Well, like, well, is there like an lady, entity that? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> it just feels like is there like an well, entity that's like you know always lurking around like right now while I'm talking to you? Is there one sit, like crouched here yeah. beside me on the floor like watching me conduct, like answer these this, this go through this interview? You know, I don't know. That well, kind of thing uh-huh. well, there's me. there's one. Um, yeah. uh-huh. Well, there's there's one short, and it's interesting because it, it, it ties into your your writing. There's a there's a, a Spanish short called uh, uh, Mama, probably one of the scariest things I've ever seen, and it was later made into a movie that I don't think had the impact of of the short. But I understand that Bird Box. I mean, at one time I believe it was optioned, and that the director was the same director who made Mama. Yes, he is still attached to that movie right now. That short is so oh, good, good, isn't it? Um, I, oh, I yes. love the movie also, but I, I do think that it's it's asking a lot to sustain whatever whatever that feeling was in that short. Just like in that movie, mm-hmm. Lights Out, it's asking a lot to sustain that three minutes from that short of Mama. I, I like that movie. Though. Yeah. But um, but what's his name? Um, yeah, Andy Machete is. Mm-hmm. Still attached to Bird Box now. Uh, Universal Studios recently uh, re-upped their option, so they are still, you know, I, I there are about five drafts into a script that I read. I didn't write, but I read it. Um, I saw storyboards. I went out to Los Angeles, met with the producers, met with the director of Mama and his sister, who's a producer. Um, it's incredible. I, you know, it's funny when you first. I didn't know any of this, obviously, as of two years ago. But when you first, like, get a, a book option or whatever, your your first instinct is, like, it's going to be a movie. And then your next instinct is, like, wait a minute, this doesn't mean this is going to be a movie. They're just interested. They may right. do it. But then now I'm in a spot again where I feel like, no, this is going to be a movie. I, because I, there's just so much, there's so much to it and there's so much, like, sort of spirit behind it that I feel like this is this is a very possible thing. And, I mean, of course, I really hope that happens, right? Can you imagine? Yeah, going so do to I. I'll, I'll, I'll see theater. it. I'll definitely see it. Oh, but, yeah, you know, well, uh, I have like a fantasy I was gonna, of, I was gonna, of like rent. Well, I have a fantasy of like renting the whole theater out, you know. But then I think that maybe I need to see the movie oh, yeah. first alone first. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> well, do you, do you envision anybody, any actors or actresses? In, you envision any actors or actresses in particular playing any of the parts? Anybody in mind, like from uh, no, no, I didn't. I don't. It's funny. I really don't. I never like had someone in mind. I even when, even when it was picked up by Universal, no one really crossed my mind for her. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, 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 I am, and I'm sure you feel this way too. I'm just gonna guess that you feel this way too. Is that I? I think most of the, the holy cow horror movies are, unknowns actors, um, yeah. unknown at the time, that kind of thing. I think that there's just something. It's not more believable. It's just maybe distracted by you're the not fact distracted. that, you know, this, yeah, this or that celebrity is, you're like firmly entrenched in just the story itself. And I also think horror, and especially Bird Box for um, a female lead, is a great avenue for an actor to, you know, like there's a lot of range in Bird Box for, for someone mm-hmm. to play Mallory. I mean, geez, think about all the things she goes through, good and bad. And so... Yeah, you know that what a what a way to like be introduced to the world, or whatever. So, when I was working on Bird Box, I always kind of saw Mallory as like a like a sister of mine, like like she would be like my best friend's sister, like or my best mm-hmm. friend slash sister. And and so I never, I still to this day see her that way, the way that I saw her when I was writing versus you know like a famous brunette actress or something. I don't know. Hmm. Well, I always thought that, I mean, my idea of Bird Box becoming a film would be, like you said, to cast it with unknowns, because that would make the impact of the movie, you know, I think it would make it better, because you won't be yeah. distracted by expecting a certain performance out of out of a known actor. 
This is, they tend to get they tend to get typecast sometimes. So then you'll expect a certain performance, and if it's an unknown, then all bets are off. So you you don't really know what you're going to get, even if you read the book. Yeah, you know, so that, that's where did I think that Did you see um? Go. Did you see It Follows? Did you see that one? Yes, that unknown. Yeah, great one, right? <laughs> Yeah. 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 That, that was one. a good one. Um, uh huh. Yeah. yeah. That was great. Oh, have you that, seen? You know, um, again. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say oh, again. I was gonna ask um, if, like, okay, <laughs> you're up. You go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, I was gonna ask if you've seen Buried. It's about a driver and buried. a rat who's buried alive in a box. That movie got under my skin. It's it's very very unsettling. And if you can find Barry, go ahead Wait. and watch it. Is that like the whole movie he's in the box or something? Yeah, yeah. No? Yeah, it's that one. Yeah, I heard about that. Okay, all right. Yeah, I'll check yeah, out Barry. Uh, it's a pretty <laughs> harrowing movie. Definitely check that out. Yeah, and then, you know, okay, even, well, as, so even as recent, yeah. uh-huh. even as recent as, like, whatever it follows, like, 2000, even then the model of, like, the sort of unknown, you know, works for us because, it was like, it honestly felt like we were like, who made this movie? You know, who are these people? Where are we? Mm-hmm. Which is, I think, one of the, like, classic or the hallmarks of, like, classic horror movies, especially, like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre and some other ones, is a sense of, like, who made this? Like, mm-hmm. who, like what, what, what creep or whatever, what psycho is behind this movie? <laughs> and, 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 and I think that, that not only, you know, unknown actors, but often even unknown writers and directors, can like surprise you mm-hmm. with with like Night of the Living Dead. I mean, so there's so many examples. And oh yeah, definitely. And, you know, so I don't know if there's you know that that's I guess that's how I would handle Bird Box. But then again, if I heard that you know someone awesome you know Meryl Streep wants to play Mallory, I'll be really excited. <laughs> yeah, that I could see her playing Mallory. That would be pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, well, I want to talk about you know more about your your writing now. As far as uh, do you have a routine when it comes to writing? You know, any kind of rituals that you sit down to do, you know, while while you're doing your writing. You know, it's funny. I I try to work on something every day, and I, I suppose I do do work on something every day. And the days where a novel isn't really happening, well, hey, let's let's write that short story idea or let's rewrite that short story. You know, try to get something every day, right? Mm-hmm. There are, I've discovered that there's, there's sort of just like with, with like dieting or running or anything else, sort of like physical, it seems like there takes a few days to like get in writing shape where, where I'll sit down and I'll start to work. I'm like, ah, geez, I don't know. What, what am I even talking about? And I'll leave. And the next day I sit down and I'm like, oh, geez. And then the next day it's a little bit better. And then day four, you're like, you're in, you know, two months later, you've been writing every day for two months. So mm-hmm. one, I, I think with Bird Box, I had a full-on ritual where I woke up at 7 every day. By 8 o'clock, I was writing, and by noon, I was done. No matter what I had written, it was just like four-hour mm-hmm. block. Then I was done at noon, and I had the rest of the day. And by the time I went to sleep each night, I, I had come up with what was going to happen the next day in the book. You wake up, repeat for, you know, the month, whatever. And, but it's not always as fluid as that, you know? Sometimes, you you know, yeah. you're on a roll, and then all of a sudden you got to go to, like, a like a birthday party or something, you know? <laughs> so I, I don't know about writers, rituals, You need to se. have a routine. Yeah. you got to, I, I, I do oh, think I so. I yeah. think, yeah, there's, there's some sort of, like, shape you got to get into, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I keep hearing from writers that say that they're waiting for their, you know, they're waiting for their muse to inspire them. And I keep telling them, you wait for that. You're going to wait forever. <clears throat> I mean, I, I recommend doing what you do. It's like you, you have a, a set period of time every day that you sit down and you write, you know, even if it's crap, you know, you, you put something down on, you know, on the computer. And it, the, once you get into that kind of routine, like you said, during the day, you come up with, with plot ideas and then the next day you work on it. I do the same thing when I, 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 I walk on the beach. I live very close to a couple of beaches. And I'll go walk out there and run plot ideas through my head, and then I'll have the next day's work already set. So then when I wake up, yep. I can just sit down and write. So I do something similar to, to what you do. Yeah, and, you know what uh, that reminds hmm, me of? Okay, yeah. That reminds me of um, Hitchcock 
um, I supposedly said something where once the storyboard is completed, the movie is done. Now we just have to film it. And that's kind of what you're saying right now. Yeah. Once you have like the plot and everything hashed out, now it's like, Oh, now I just sit down and actually write this. And I, you know, I, for me, and I've, I've said this before many times, but to me, inspiration is, is a very particular monster where it doesn't, it, it, this monster doesn't leap out at you. This crazy thing makes you wait for it constantly. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like, I, I see, I can see inspiration like around, like hiding behind this tree over here or around down the hall, just out of you. And I'm like, okay, it's coming. It's coming. Inspiration's coming. But it just, no, mm-hmm. it's not coming. It's getting, you got to wait a little longer, you know? It's like, yeah, it's, it's, like it's toying with you. It's the truest monsters to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I, I decided well, we, long ago, like, do not wait for that, for wait for that yeah. at all. Well, yeah. we have about five minutes left, so I want to wind things down. So uh, what wow, advice really? would you give to, yeah, yeah, it's been an hour. <laughs> Told you time for <laughs> yeah, this, this is fun. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, what advice would you give to writers? You know, what, what's like the number one piece of advice you would give to, especially uh, uh, fledgling writers? I, I mean, I think the biggest one has to be, you know, not to worry at all if what you're writing is good or bad. When you're doing the rough draft or when you're writing your story for the first time, just there is no such thing as good or bad when you're writing that first draft. Just get it done. Get through it. You are going to think you're so nothing during it. You're going you're gonna to have this alternating moments of, you know, crying. You love yourself so much and crying you hate yourself so much just somehow get through that that webbing right that emotional craziness because mm-hmm. i think that most of the people i know that 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 have great ideas for stories or want to write a novel the reason they don't is they get hung up right away like you oh does this sound too much like someone else is this not any good is this not my own voice the truth is like a, a novel is too big a work of art for you to hide your real, your true voice. You know, if someone gave you and I the same exact subject, same exact plot line, we are not going to write the same book. It's impossible to hide your voice. So to, to spend so much time worrying, is this my own voice? Yeah, it's your own voice. No matter what you do, it's your own voice. So don't worry if it's good or bad. Get rid of those two words. They just do not exist in that world. Then when you're done, now you have the momentum of having finished a draft and now you also have the perspective, so when you go back into it, okay, I can make this better. And then start worrying right. what's right or wrong about it. But that initial run-through, you got to get through that initial run-through. And that, that's really okay. it. So um, in, addition to, in addition to that, um, well, okay, obviously I'm going to tell people to go buy Bird Box. You can find it at Amazon and other major retailers and bookstores and such. But um, what other projects are in the works right now that are coming out soon, if you have anything? Um, the band and I are working on a new album that I have no idea exactly when we're going to record it, but we are slowly starting to do this. Um, I have, I, my personal vision is that it would be a double album, but we'll see where it goes. Um, I have a book, a novella, coming out on Halloween called A House at the Bottom of a Lake. It's coming out through This is Horror. They're physical copies. It's about 170 pages long. Um, that comes out on Halloween. And then May of 2017 um, is the full-length novel follow-up to Bird Box. Not, not a sequel, but book two with Harper Collins. Mm-hmm. And the book is called Black Mad Wheel. Black Mad Wheel. Oh. And that one comes out in May. And then that's, that's the immediate future. Plus short stories that I'm like really excited about. One in Cemetery Dance. One, you know, I, I was part of a, um, a, book, a book that just came out called I Can Taste the Blood. And there's, there's five of us authors that all use the same title to each write our own novella or each novella to this title and then all five are put together and that mm-hmm. is i can taste the blood um that's a project i'm like crazy excited about you know short stories novellas novels songs let's go yeah got it all coming out that sounds really great yeah so um okay the final thing would be where can people find you like on the web or just to contact you i, I know that you're on facebook obviously because that's where i found you and uh, so where can people, what's, you know, a website, Facebook, that sort of thing? I mean, it's, re- you know, I, I, 
I was talking to some fella about making a website with my agent and I were talking to this guy, and I'm not sure what's become of that. I should probably check on that after this conversation. Otherwise, I mean, really just Facebook. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm on Twitter, but it seems like for Twitter, you got to be like really plugged into like pop culture or current events to like to get any sort of like, you know, headway on there. But yeah, just on Facebook, I have an author page and my own. Uh, and and that's where, like, the meat of the matter is, you know, all the new news and amazing photos of our new dog. <laughs> and uh, uh, what, what's your name on Facebook, just so that people can find you to friend you? Just, just me. That's it, just Josh Mallerman. Oh, yeah, just both. Josh Mallerman. If you, okay, at Facebook. Yeah, okay. if you search Josh Mallerman, and I think Twitter also, if you search Josh Mallerman, it'll come up the personal page and the author page, and they're both, like, public and whatever, so. Okay. Okay, well, I'd like to thank you very much for being on the show with me. You were a fantastic guest, and um, I'd like to have you back sometime. I definitely want to do that. I would love to do that. Yeah, that was really fun. I can't believe that was an hour. My gosh, okay. Yeah, Yeah, that was was really fun. Thank you. Thank you for reading Bear Box number one, and thank you for having me. This was was really cool. Into the abyss. Take care. Yes, into the abyss. Okay, you too. Okay, bye-bye. Bye.